0: Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life Energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. How many of you start your day out with a huge smile upon your face? Do you own a pet? Are you a pet lover? Well, that will increase your smile that much more. Our guest today is Alan Anderson. He and his wife, Linda, founded the Angel Animals Network in Minneapolis in 1996, 1996, which is dedicated to increasing love and respect for all life through the power of story. Their 15 books about the spiritual qualities of animals have been featured on Oprah.com, The Today Show, ABC's Nightly News, BBC Radio, Washington Post, LA Times, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and 10 among others is uh, the top seller. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula.
2: And I'm Taz. Today, we'll talk about Ellen's 2013 memoir, A Dog Named Leaf, a book that is truly impossible to put down. It won the prestigious American Society of Journalists and Authors' Outstanding Book Awards. And In 2004, Ellen and Linda, his wife, each received State of Minnesota Certificate of Commendation Awards in recognition of their contributions as authors. And in 2011, they were named partners and friends of American Human Association in recognition that their mission and efforts are in alignment with the organization's work. In addition to being an author, Alan is a photographer and a writer-instructor at the uh, Loft Literary Center.
1: Alan Anderson, it's really exciting to have you with us. Welcome to our show.
3: Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Well, I just got through reading your book, and I just I couldn't put it down because I re- I related to it all the way through. And the name of the do- the book is A Dog Named Leaf, The Hero from Heaven Who Saved My Life. There is, <laughs> well, I
2: mean, thank you.
3: I- you know, he really is <laughs> a hero. I just love this dog.
2: <laughs> I really do. Well you know, the first thing I can I can think of is like <clears throat> what kind of joy has this dog brought to your life? Leif, I mean, you know, he's he when you see his picture on the front of the book it's like he has a human spark eye, sparkly eyes. And you know what, you couldn't help but love him, I know. But you've had so many <laughs> wonderful journeys with him, it's amazing. Well, oh, let's talk about, you know, I look
3: Go ahead. I'm sorry. To everybody
2: out there that he he's a
1: rescue dog. So um, rescue dogs come with a lot of baggage sometimes. And I, you had to really work through his baggage. But it was a gift <laughs> that you worked together. So
3: that, that was wonderful.
1: Oh, he's yeah. so lucky to have you. Know,
3: I wanted just to mention that rescue dogs, 99% of them are just wanting a home. So anyone out there wanting to adopt and go to a rescue or go to a, uh, one of the shelters, uh, you're going to get someone who is only appreciative of giving them a home. Leaf had some special, you know, qualities, and <laughs> a lot of them were just like uh, you would have if you came from an abusive background. He was dumped there about a year old. So I'm just saying to anyone who's interested in adopting don't think this is a typical adoption situation. My book, is, it was very unusual. And we kind of knew it after a couple of days, but we decided to hang in there and, and make sure that we, as a family, get together and, and help him heal from his past.
1: And in doing so, he helped you heal.
3: Absolutely. You know, it's interesting, and I'm sure many of, you, many of your listeners and, and, and a lot of people would have the same experience. Why is this person... Or why is this individual, or why is this dog or cat or any animal in my life now? And as you look at it, especially when I was going through many of the traumas and the challenges I was going through, it turned out that this dog called Leaf, we named Leaf because he loved to roll around the leaves and loved to chase leaves, was there for me because I needed that individual, that dog, to be with me during my crisis, as I was with him during the time when he needed to heal from fear and from all the distrust that he was basically growing up with because of whatever experiences he may have had with his the people that he was with before he was dumped at the shelter.
2: Hmm. Well you talk about him running through the park and then just hopping in the in the pile of leaves and just <laughs> <laughs> uh rolling in them. You know, was there I wonder what what triggered him to do that. It's pretty amazing.
3: Well this was right after the adoption and you know we you know his name was Harley because the cameras on the exterior of the shelter uh, look at he was ride, brought in on the front of a little basket on the front of a Harley motorcycle, so they didn 't know what to say. You, you know the only word on his little piece of paper next to his cage was abandoned, and then he is, uh, they named him Harley because of the motorcycle. Well, he hated that name. we were just adopt him, and we were going to walk around a, a, one of the local uh, lakes uh, with him before we went home so we can get some exercise and some fresh air. And a Harley actually drove up beside the car, and he growled, and he was all tough, and he was going to be you know, battling that Harley because he hated that motorcycle noise in the motorcycle. And we realized at that point, well, he doesn't like the name Harley, oh, uh, at least wow. in our minds. So we decided we were going to rename him. So we figured out, as the walk continued, how much he loved Leaves. And he ran right into some and rolled around. And, and then I said, Leaf. And he looked right at me. He like like I like that name. So he came over when I said it again. And so we all sort of found the name that really fit him, and and he loved it.
1: Wow. Well, when you when you went into the rescue um, uh, building and you were looking at different dogs, what brought your attention to to Leaf? I mean, what um, did you see in him that was special?
3: You know, it's interesting because I, you know, I also have sort of a background of distrusting people and looking at things from a viewpoint that maybe isn't in my best interest at times. And I saw in him something that was kind of similar. I mean, he really was standoffish, yet at the same time he was energetic and still a puppy. But he had two sides to him. One was fear, and of course, the other was I want to explore and do all these great things. I'm I'm still young, but the uh, the fear part would often take over, especially with men. So we went to the little room that they take us to play with him a little bit, just to see if we can bond. And he was all scattered, he was running to the door looking at kids that were passing us by where where there's a little window, and then he'd come back to us, and you know, I knew that there was something special about this dog, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And I was listening to myself in a sense of, you know, seeing things not just from an emotional viewpoint or a mental viewpoint, but maybe from something deeper. And I was just trying to figure out what is in my heart and what is in his heart. And he came over, and I touched his back, and I gently caressed his back. And for the first time, I could feel that he was relaxing just a bit. He was just relaxed. And then the first time, I was beginning to relax and not feel so bad about the loss about six months earlier of our of our beloved uh, yellow lab uh, named Taylor, and it was just devastating for me. But for the first time, I thought, well, maybe maybe I can love again and see this pup and help him through whatever he's going through. And there was something very special in that connection, and my wife Linda also had some amazing uh, experiences thinking about this and, and going through the process of adopting them that told us both that this was the dog that would come home with us.
2: Wow. You were in, um, a policeman. Can you tell about that story and how it, it interweaves with um, what we're going to share with our listeners?
3: Yeah, in the 80s, I was a police officer for eight years, uh, and uh, I, I went into police work because I actually had a degree in journalism and was going to actually do weather reports on the TV. I was in, in the process of getting a job in a in a city, uh, a smaller city in in uh, Georgia, but then uh, I had a, a motorcycle accident in um, uh, totally my fault, and I had that kind of Frankenstein look for a couple of years uh, because it, you know my face was torn up and all that, and it was. It was, And I was thinking to myself, well, I can't do the TV stuff anymore. What can I do that I can take advantage of my new look? And I thought, well, maybe people will take me more seriously with this new look if I did police work, and I could gather up more information and more storylines and more characters. And so I did, I did that, and, and I actually, after a couple of years, liked it. I was actually in situations where I could help, situations where there are domestics or other things going on, and uh, we're keeping it at a calmer level, as you probably well know from the news and everything else. Sometimes uh, law enforcement officers are not people that would calm down a the situation. They often <laughs> elevate the tension and the situation would get worse. But uh, I was actually able to do some good work. And after a while, I, I, there was this one point when I was doing police work, I had this domestic call. and it, I went into the apartment, it was on the ground floor, and these two, a man and a woman, were just yelling and screaming and it looks like it was on the potential of violence towards each other. And uh, They they kept on going when I came in, but I looked over at a little boy, maybe around eight, possibly seven, eight, somewhere in there, and he was on the couch crying, and this little mixed-breed dog was next to him and licking his face, calming him down, being there for him no matter what, even though it was a fearful, frightening situation. And I, I took a snapshot of that. And I told myself, one day I want to write about that. I want to let people know what animals can do for them, even during crisis and challenging times. And it just stuck in me. It was like a snapshot that stuck with me for a lot of years afterward. afterwards. Of course, I did the appropriate things in the domestic situation and separated them, made sure that things were calmer, and that maybe if they, you know, he would go somewhere that night and they would come back and discuss things in a more reasonable fashion the next day. I know that was... Kind of, a, you know, sort of typical when there really hasn't been any crimes committed at that point, but we, we did, made sure nothing was going to happen that night. But that snapshot stayed with me. I've always wanted to write, write. I got my degree in journalism. I've been writing short stories and all sorts of things for a long time, but then I realized actually my destiny is going to one day write about the human-animal bond and how special they are when it comes to having a full, rich life. With those qualities like that dog showing that little boy of empathy and love and courage staying in that situation even in a, in a potentially uh hazardous situation, no matter what that dog would stay with that boy, no matter what and I loved that I just loved it I couldn't believe that why couldn't people be more like dogs <laughs> why couldn't people be more like <laughs> those have higher the qualities that animals share with us all the time well i i I, I you know years went by and I found, and, and, and my wife and I married, and, and she was also interested in writing, and finally one day, uh, about 1996, we walked around a lake in Minnesota after we moved up here from the uh, Atlanta, Georgia, where I was doing police work, and was walking around, and so, you know, we're going to have to work the rest of our lives, but why can't we do something else to bring more love to this world? This was Linda talking to me, and I said, yeah, you know, we can really be creative, and And then it had dawned on me about that scene, that picture that came to mind with the boy and the little dogs licking and comforting him, and I mentioned it. And, of course, we were walking around with Taylor at the time, and she just looked so happy. She loved her walks, and people walked by, and they saw her grin on her face for walking, and they just had a better day. If they were having a bad hair day, their hair day was getting much better, and they smiled. And then my wife, Linda, told me, you know, why don't we ask people, what is that animal in your life? showing you when it comes to becoming a better human being? What kind of spiritual qualities or what kind of higher level qualities to make you a better person does that animal show you? Just like that dog showed me and all the dogs and animals and cats that we've ever had in our lives showed us higher qualities. You know, what makes you a better human being? Does it love? Is it courage? Is it empathy? Is it all those things combined which animals show us in abundance? So we decided to ask that question. And we put it out on bulletin boards, and we did this and that to make sure people would know, and if they wanted to participate or share stories with us, they would be able to. Internet wasn't what it was today back then, but it, there were a couple of news groups- type things that we tried. Within a month, we had hundreds of stories. People were sharing all these stories, and they said, "This is the first time we've ever been asked that. It's always been about training before that point. Now we're being asked those lessons, those wonderful spiritual lessons on how to become better p- human beings just by observing our pets and observing animals in nature. And that's how it all sort of started, but with that one little boy on that couch licking that boy's uh, face, the dog, um, it just struck me as such a perfect image of what animals can be for our our lives. I've been blabbering away quite a bit, haven't
1: I? I'm so excited about this topic. (laughs) Well, how many books have you written about animals?
3: Fifteen. Uh, fifteen, fifteen. They've been uh, uh, in and now they're in different languages: Japan, Brazil, uh, Italy. Uh, they've they've been uh, they're basically all around the world now. Uh, some of the books, Angel Dogs and Angel Cats, are two of the ones that people love. They seem to love the most. We we wrote a book about the uh, this crisis on the Gulf Coast uh, called Rescued: Saving Animals from Disaster, and it was a substantial look. It's actually being used in some of the classes now on animal rescue and other other detailed historical accounts of the Hurricane Katrina and the other uh, tragedies on the Gulf Coast during that time when there was such a massive evacuation. But we we love it. And the fact that we always, when we write, we always look for that special bond between people and animals, and it's always there. It's always there. You can look in the eyes and you can tell those two are, <laughs> are definitely uh, a partnership formed in their lives where the animal becomes stronger and better and more and hundred percent in the person the same way, it's like they they've decided to do it together
2: you know it's pretty interesting um as a child, I've always been allergic to animals, um, dogs and cats and horses and um, although we did have outdoor animals never indoor, and I never petted them because basically if i had if I pet them I'd break out and I, or I'd have to go wash so that I would be okay um, but i but animals are just adorable, and I have to share a story regarding i I visited Paula's um home one day and she had just gotten her incredible dog, which is um a lapso and um it, he he never touched me. He knew when I walked in the house, he didn't touch me. He, But he wiggled and that kind of thing. And he would come, when I sat down, he would come and, and uh, just lay down by my feet. But he would never touch me. It was really amazing, like he really knew. And um, I remember even petting him one time and just going to wash my hands because he was just so adorable. And then one day I came into the house and he... Um, he had a ball in his mouth, and I sat down on on the chair, and he rolled. He got about maybe uh, six or seven feet from me, and he rolled this ball to me. It was really strange. He wanted me to play with it. And I rolled it back and the, that kind of thing. And then we were visiting and having another lady come to the house um, with us, and uh, she showed up, and and then he would – he continued rolling the ball, and he rolled the ball directly to her, and then she'd roll it back and then you know and then one time I rolled it to her, and then you know she rolled it to the to um Leo, which is paula's dog's name and it was just so adorable, I could hardly believe that this dog was just you know playing in that way and just you know. Uh, not jumping up and down like a lot of dogs will do when you when you first go in, especially when they're young, you know. So to me, it was just really, just precious. And he knew how well, to touch your takes, heart.
1: He always yeah. takes turns when he plays ball. If there's two or three people, he takes turns and he gives the ball to each person. <laughs>
2: <laughs> pretty,
1: pretty awesome.
2: But you know, just and. And even with our neighbor, um, you know it's like you see how the animals just connect with them. It's so amazing um, and I'm sure everybody that has an animal connects with them, you know, but to be able to see this and like you took that snapshot in your in your mind of what you saw this dog doing for that young boy, and you know they they connect with you it's just amazing, like they know what you need it's it's so precious to have that, that miracle in, in your life and being able to see it. It's, it's just really awesome.
3: i like to just bring up one possibility here. I, I, there's a study, University of Western Onto- Ontario, uh, documents that dogs are extremely good at figuring out what people need. Now, you didn't need him all over your lap and all over your face and all the other things because of your allergy. I personally believe that I, this is a question I've always asked, how much do dogs really know? And I'm wondering if that dog really knew that he was not, at the very most, he could sleep at your feet, but he was not to be in your face, and that would cause you damage. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to play, and he found a way of playing with you.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was so obvious. And, um, of course, Paula's dog's smart. (laughs) 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 But, but, uh, you know, it's uh, I, I just, you know, I love animals, and I always have, but, uh, you know, just to, to have that experience, you know, when you haven't been around them for such a long time, and it really, you know, they ha- the dogs are really brilliant, and, and other animals, too. They just really do know.
1: Well, the stories about Katrina, I mean, people that were being evacuated couldn't take their animals, and I saw one young boy that refused to get on the bus because he couldn't take his dog. I mean, it' just my heart just went out to them, and uh, the one oh, dog it, it that saved you know one dog mm-hmm. saved somebody's life, and then they they had to leave him behind. It was just i mean i I couldn't leave my animal behind <laughs> it's, it's, well so because animals, of that
3: I many the procedures are are more precise today to allow all of us to take care of our animals during a crisis, so that in a way, even though it was a learning experience for many many people in the organizations. You and I can now protect our animals and take them with us if there's a evacuation order.
2: Oh, oh wow, that's great! know. Oh. yeah. Now, Leaf um, saved your life. Tell the story. How, how 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 did he do that?
3: Because he's just a special guy. <laughs> I. <laughs>
2: uh, uh, uh,
3: well, let's, okay, now, I have. there's a lot of uh, to the story, and I'll just briefly say I'm uh, having dizzy spills. I go to the doctor. They have x-rays done, and I'm at the office one day, and I'm no longer doing police work. I'm in back uh, where we're living now, and I'm in uh, computer work, and I'm working days, and I get this call from the doctor who did the test, and he says, Alan, you've got, and of course, he tried to be as gentle as he can, but sometimes doctors are pretty abrupt. You have an unruptured brain aneurysm, and you're going to have to have brain surgery. Okay? Are you sure you got the right number? <laughs> so I had a reaction to that. You know, doing police work, I saw a lot of people in you know the previous decade, I saw a lot of people that had brain damage and lived really painful lives and lives where they depended on others. My father had a stroke at an early age, so I saw how devastating that is when it comes to independent people no longer being able to be independent. And I was always healthy and independent, so I really had an emotional reaction. And I didn't know what to do because I just uh, was thinking, this is awful, you know, a broken brain. It's, what's, what's going on with this? I this, got to keep my alertness and everything else for the writing. The, you know, at the time the rescued book was just released, and I was doing interviews with my wife Linda, and we were just doing a lot of work where this really was the worst possible timing for this. Well, we had adopted Leaf maybe oh, probably about three months before, maybe a little longer, and he. Was still going through his traumas. He couldn't sleep at night. I had to hold him and try to keep him comforted. He was scared. He was definitely healing step by step, but very small steps. And uh, it took a while for him to even allow me to hold him and to, re- you know, make him comfort him during times when he was having his nightmares and wake up and how and just couldn't sleep very well. Well, I really didn't know what to do. I was thinking, I got to tell my wife Linda, and you know. I hate to say this, and maybe you probably already know this, but sometimes men are not that bright. Is that something that you would disagree with? <laughs> as, as far as going to doctors? and <laughs> Well, as far as me. <laughs> anyway, a lot of men are very bright. I'm sure whatever, whoever you know, we're not saying anything bad about other men. I'm just saying that sometimes, on rare, very rare occasions, men tend not to be as bright as um, we wish they would be, <laughs> like me. Um well, I did some research. I went back to the office and took an extended lunch, and I did some research on brain aneurysms, and I realized it was just an awful, awful thing. And people, yeah, even having surgery would would have pain the rest of their lives. And So I had to tell Linda, either tell her or just have her and maybe ask her to go visit her parents for a week so I could do the surgery and not tell her. That would have been the worst thing. That's the not bright part. <laughs> <laughs> so I did research, and I wrote up this beautiful fact sheet, and I did all the positive stuff I could find, which was very little, about the nature of what it is and all the different options. And I I used the word like uh, uh, instead of uh, brain surgery, I used uh, surgical procedure, anything that would calm it down and make it, just like police work, bring it down to a level where reason and logic would take hold instead of emotion. And I built built this beautiful fact sheet. It's a one pager, very simple to read. And I went home that night and... And, of course, Leaf was there all jumpy and looking at me and having a good time. I sat down with my wife, and I said, you know, I want you to read this. And she read it, and I'll quote you what she said. She looked at me, and she said, Alan, you have an unruptured brain aneurysm. You're going to have open brain surgery, and you gave me a memo? This is not a memo situation. <laughs> and I realized, "No, yeah, what was I thinking? <laughs> I had all this planned out. Ugh. So well, I you were being right protective
1: thing. You were being protective over her because she had just gotten through with the illness herself. So
3: Oh, I love she your did. thinking on that. That's really good. I like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh I would have I would have mentioned that to her just so she doesn't keep it with her all these other <laughs> 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 uh, I was thinking only about you, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I did the right thing. I held her hand, and we sat on the couch. And she, you know, she did cry a little bit. And we talked about everything that we had and what was going, what was at stake. And so it, that was probably the better way to go. So anybody out there that has really important information to tell a significant other, anyone that's important to you in your life, please do not write a memo. They don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> so. It was so funny, Leif was there, and he was participating, and he you know he sat there and watched us, and actually, he was kind of affectionate, which is kind of unusual during that time period for him. but a little later, after all the stuff was going on, and this is the important one with Leif and how he helped me so deeply. Um, you know of course, we did our we went to dog park and we did all the different things that we would spend time together, quality time. but one night when I realized that things were getting really bad, i he had an awful, awful, vivid dream. And, you know, vivid dreams means it's almost like a real life. And a lot of maybe your listeners are thinking, well, I've had those type of dreams where it actually felt like I was actually there. It's not just a dream. Well, this dream had this massive structure and these long line of people that were going into the structure. And a lot of the people I knew, some were family. My wife was there and friends. A lot of them I didn't know or don't, didn't remember ever meeting. And they were in this massive line running or walking very fast in this building. I learned that it was called the Building of Life. And in the dream, this building represented all of life. It represented libraries and buildings and oceans and relationships, anything and everything that you could possibly experience. And every one of those people, every single one, this massive line of people all had a ticket. All had a piece of paper they were holding in their hands. It was a ticket to enter the Building of Life and continue with their lives. And I looked down at my hand. And I had no ticket. I had no piece of paper. I was there was nowhere to get a ticket to to continue with life. I even tried to rush into the line without the ticket, and people looked at me. They, you don't belong here. You don't have a ticket. They were actually kind of growly. They really kind of (laughs) said, "What in the world did you think you could get? Join us because you don't have a ticket. You're not going to continue and go into the building of life with us." So I left the line, and I was really, really upset. I said, "You know, I was thinking maybe." Something in my subconscious is coming up because I can't deal with it otherwise. In a dream, I woke up in a sweat. I was kind of all, you know, really upset. And for the first time, you know, once again, dogs know what you need, especially during times challenging times. He jumped up on the bed, and I was able to hold him, and I was able to pet him, and I was able to calm down. And he he was so beautiful. Well, later that morning I was sitting at the kitchen table and I was talking to my wife, Linda, about this and the dream, and we both take dreams seriously. <laughs> We'd like to at least get a, some sort of glimpse of what's going on on some part of our brains or some part of our who we are when it comes to dreams. So I told her about that. I held my hand up. Leaf was sitting at my feet listening to every word, watching me. I held my hand up and I said, I didn't have a ticket and my hand was empty. And she understood that you know there could be some things going on that we never could really understand consciously, but maybe it's coming through a drain because that's the only way we could accept the fact that things may not turn out well with the surgery. Well, Leif later that morning did something that he had never done before, and this was like a new behavior. And I didn't really understand at the time what it meant, but he went to the table in the living room and, with his paw, pushed off the newspaper and magazines, and started ripping them up with his mouth into little shreds of paper. And then he went ahead and grabbed some of them in his mouth and brought them over to me in the other room, and wanted me to take the paper from him. And, you know, at the time, I didn't know what, he, what all that was about because I was in the middle of other stuff, and he dropped it on the floor. He went back and ripped up some more paper and brought it to me, wanted me to take the paper. It was so important that I was to take the paper. He was almost insistent, but again, I said, what are you doing? I'm just another problem. Wait, I've got other things I have to do. I was really upset with him. And so he, he went and did it again. Finally, I picked up all the newspapers off the floor and put them on a higher table so he would con- stop ripping them up and trying to bring me paper. I imagine you all could guess what that paper represented <laughs> for me. It's <With> a ticket. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He was trying to deliver the ticket to me and he really understood maybe it's through just my visuals and my holding my hand up and everything I wanted in that hand and all these studies that show that dogs are just there for you. They want to do anything they can to help in any way they can. They just, they're just, just there to give you love and whatever support you need, especially when you're going through crisis. Well, and I, I don't know if you want me to go into the, what happened during surgery and what, why I was able to calm down. Is that a good point now to do that? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. Okay, well, I'm I'm, I'm going into the surgery, and this is after, that after I visited my family and everyone that was there to help me through it. And um, as the um, nurse was bringing down the the bringing down the, um, the surgical nurse was bringing down the uh, little device or the mouthpiece, the nose and mouth uh, cover to begin put me to sleep for the surgery. He, he said, uh, you know, you're, you're safe, everything's going to be fine. But I was still thinking about the ticket. And in my mind's eye, I saw a leaf, and I was just so joyful to see his face. He's such a lovely, you know, calming thing. He's gotten, gotten more for loving and more attentive. And in his mouth was that piece of paper again. And he dropped wow. it. And as the, as the uh, breathing device was coming down, he dropped it. And in my mind's eye, I reached out and touched the paper. And at that moment, I knew I had my ticket to life. Wow. I actually knew. And I relaxed, and I knew everything was going to be okay And, you know, it's so many different levels. These animals help us, and they help us. You know, I don't really care if people say it's an imagination thing. It doesn't matter. It was important to me at that moment to see that and to have that in my hand. And it really was, it was just so special because I knew that he really did represent one very important reason to continue living because he brought so much joy to my life.
2: Well, that was a tangible experience. I mean, you did see him rip the paper. Yeah, I mean, what, you know, that is definitely, you know, a, a line you follow, and you can definitely understand. And that, you know, what a blessing.
3: Oh, well, Linda was then, annoyed, too, with the
2: paper
1: in
3: our living room. Uh.
1: Well, when you uh, got home from the hospital, he did,
3: he helped you healed also. I mean, he took walks with you, and he was there for you. Oh, he was. Um, I went. Uh, he went to daycare one day when I had to go and have a follow-up procedure done on um, uh, another <laughs> life-threatening thing that was going on in my body, which was very strange in and of itself. And I picked him up at daycare. And of course, he was having a blast. And he's sort of the, par- the, the party uh, person when he comes to daycare. All these other dogs, you know, they have Animal Planet on a big screen TV for them, and they run around, they play. And sometimes when they get bored and they're not playing, he gets them up and throws balls and does things to get everyone operating in a play mode. But I went to pick him up, and um, he um, came out, and we went to the car. I had just came back, and it was almost closing time. Everything was very bright, the sunshine from the hospital to have that procedure done. Uh, it was a last-minute decision procedure because my we didn't really plan for it, but it was something that had to be done before Linda got back from an uh, out-of-town uh, visit for a couple of days since we thought it was all over with, but it really wasn't. So this was done. I went to pick him up. I was doing fine. I was getting getting in the car, and we were heading on back home. And um, this white van stopped all of a sudden in front of me. And because it was white, all this bright sunshine blared into my eyes, and my head was hurting already, and it was getting worse. And um, I started losing it. You know how people lose it when they're driving and they're not like in the best shape, anyway. Well, I started yelling and screaming. And why are you stopped in the uh, and, of course, I would never say some of the words I might have said then, because this is radio and we don't want to say those words here, but I was very, very expressive. <laughs> well, <laughs> Leaf was in the back seat, and normally a little cocker spaniel, as sweet as he was, as he's getting sweeter every day because he trusts us, you know, would be cowering. This big old man has lost control. Instead, he jumped into the front seat and started licking my face with such intensity that I, I broke out of it. I realized that, oh, okay, <laughs> I'm so, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he was like a, an adult calming a child, just having a little temper flare-up, and he calmed me down, and then the white van moved ahead, and it was just a stoplight. It was all perfectly normal, and I was embarrassed, and as we drove home, he'd occasionally look over and give me another lick on my cheek, and I just just felt so calm and realized that this was all going to be okay, and... um when we finally got home, he got extra treats, and we both took a long nap. <laughs> so, that was one, one thing after the surgery that really was special, to see him no matter what. You know, what, what does it say? And this, this goes for any human being. When you can look at a dog that can give that much love, to have that much courage, to, to actually help calm a person who's basically emotionally out of control because of whatever, and also have the empathy to know exactly what to do. I mean, all that together, wouldn't I like to be more like that and maybe other people when they see people in need to be exactly and so in tune with that need and be able to express it. That's just the yeah. one example of many in the, in the book, A Dog Named Leaf, that uh, I wanted to share.
1: Well, I got a kick out of um, you You played a uh, chant for him to calm him down when you first got him. Yes. You actually put it... And
3: you put it in the car, yeah. a tape in the car. Yeah, we had a CD in the car. And I, when I first got him, one of the things I did to help calm him down was, at night, like at one in the morning when he couldn't sleep, I would go in my office and get in my recliner chair, and hold him, and he would begin to stop shaking or stop being so afraid. And I would calm him, and I would say things like, "You're going to be here for. for this is your forever home. We're going to love you forever. You're, you're just as sweet as you can be. Everything's going to be fine." And uh, you're safe, and all those. And then as part of that, because this has always helped me during times when I needed to remind myself that uh, there's an element, uh, you know, some would say that a divine within each of us, I started chanting a word that I really, really helps me in times of when I needed it, and that would be Hugh. And it's H-U, and it goes like a Hugh. And I would do that for him a couple of times, and all of a sudden, he would start snoring. It was finally he was able to, sleep. and then when he started snoring, I could start snoring, and we both got some sleep that night. And this happened, that we, you know, day after day, several weeks after we first got him. Well, we have a CD of that because it really is a sweetened sound, and we play it. Uh, and we had it in the car, uh, in the CD player in the car. And one day, uh, for whatever reason, uh, I was, you know, had a terrible headache it from the surgery, and I was really having a hard time. That day um, I was trying to figure out what I'm going to do, and I have work stuff that was piling up that I needed to take care of. And and, uh, there was somebody that got in front of me in the car, and and I, I, again, got emotional and said, you know, why are you doing this? And before I could actually take hold and become fully, completely, totally (laughs) an emotional basket case, so to speak, um, he was up front, and his paw just, you know, just like that on the radio, the same button that started the CD, so all of a sudden this massive, loud, loud, loud uh, sound of hue went throughout the car, and it broke me from that cycle of being getting uh, uh, upset over the traffic and with the headache and everything else. And I looked at him and I said, "Leaf, who are you?" <laughs> he was like, "He <laughs> was like, what the." <laughs> And he like he kind of yawned. He didn't even think he did anything special. It's just his paw touched that one button to cause that that beautiful sound to start immediately, and help me uh, stop my my uh, going down that rabbit hole of being upset or angry over the traffic.
1: Wow! Uh, what I could uh, one story you you told in the book that I really could relate to was your dog is a GPS, uh, and our dog is the same. If he's only been to <laughs> a place one time and we go there a second time he knows just before we get there and he starts going (laughs) he gets all excited knowing (laughs) that we're going to go to this place again (laughs) and you said that Leaf did that I just really got a kick out of
3: that
2: Oh, oh, he has God. no trust
3: that we know where we're going. He may, he wants to make sure <laughs> we're going where he he thinks we're supposed to go. <laughs> he goes to one side of the car where we're supposed to turn right and goes to the other side where we're supposed to turn rest, re, uh, left right before we get to the uh, intersection just to make sure we understand. And he gets between us and he looks and he points his head, you know, if he knows that we're, this is what, the direction we need to go. He just has no confidence in, of in us at all, <laughs> not getting from one point to another.
2: Uh, wow, wow. <laughs> A loving GPS. <laughs> it is. It's perfect.
3: You, know, how much do dogs really know? I guess. I guess your your pup you is know, just letting you know it's time. We can, we're almost there. This is going to be good. I like this place.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. We get it. We crack up about it all the time. In fact, I said maybe he knows because uh, when you put the turn signal on, and so my husband stopped turning the putting the turn signal on to test him. He still did it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh Wow. Well, you know, I, I was gonna say again. You know, even going to Paula's house, I remember um, heading into the home, and and um, Leo sees me come in, and he he runs around their um, uh, the table, a, a huge table, and running around the living room. It's just like he he doesn't stop. It's like his ears are flopping in the wind. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and you know what I mean it's just like he knows it's going to bring a smile to your face and some laughter and it's just he, you know it's like they know just the right thing to do it's just incredible and again you know he doesn't jump on me and it's just amazing where he he knows just the right thing to do um, you I've talked I, I was going to say you talked about things that happen to you that are similar to what people report with a near-death experience um, um, yeah, you, will you talk about that?
3: Oh, certainly. I, well, you know, um, when you are, uh, oh, how do you say this? When you're when you're in a dream, let's say. And I had a couple of these experiences where a friend of mine was, in and this is kind of mystical. But you know, there are studies out there that say over fifty percent of the population in this country. This is a, a Newsweek Gallup poll tell in complete honesty that they've, you ever had a religious or mystical experience and over half the population say yes. So it's not like it's something that's totally off in some some different uh, realm where people don't really understand because a lot of people automatically know exactly what you're talking about. But when you're in a dream and you actually are in a vivid dream or I was in another dream prior to the surgery where I was going through and looking at what's going to happen to me and all the connections, the neural, the, the the connections in the brain, many of them would be um, not exactly what they were prior to the surgery. There would be things that had to be reconnected, maybe memory situations and other things. And I was going through that, and I was in such pain and such fear. And another a person that I I know, um, he's a firefighter and he lives on the East Coast in Connecticut, and and we occasionally talk, but we are really close friends, even though we don't do a lot of a lot of communication and. But he called me the morning after that dream, and he says, I was there with you. I know exactly what you're going through. So he described what he experienced. It was exactly what I experienced. And, you know, when you have those type of experiences, you realize that things aren't so clear-cut. You know, there's a lot of things that we experience in life, and they're not exactly, you know, things that scientists can prove or things that uh, experiences that are... uh, You know, that can be uh, verified through study. It's almost like you have to just trust in yourself and trust that, yes, you know, there might be called uh, after-death experiences, but you're still alive. There might be called any number of things trying to describe them, but they are real. And they are so real you should never, never, in a moment um, of hesitation say, I don't believe that. I'm going to go back where it's safe, where my mind is completely in in in, in control, and everything has to have a reason. There has to be a, you know, a beginning, middle, an end to it. But experience and, and growth is much more than that. And I think people, if they realize that, especially when you have a partnership or a companion that's with you through it all, like a dog or a cat, and the, the specialness of family and friends, um, their lives are 100% instead of 50%. They really can have much more understanding of the potential. And life does continue. Period. It may not be how we might anticipate it to continue, but after death, there's more that goes on and more growth and more love and more building into that 100% of a person that maybe you never were before.
1: Well, in in the book, you uh, work with an animal communicator. um, Oh,
3: yes. (laughs) (laughs) To see... Uh.
1: um, I've often wanted to use an animal uh, communicator for a cat we have because we have no idea what happened to him before we got him. And uh-huh. I'm always curious. I thought maybe an animal communicator could find out for us.
3: I would suggest it. I, I mean, and of course, get recommendations and do all the appropriate research before relying on one because like everybody else, there's some good animal communicators and there's some that may need more practice. <laughs> I guess that's the kind way of putting it. <laughs> You know. But, yeah, with Leaf, when we first got him, we were trying to figure out where he came from and all that. And I remember, you know, we were in my uh, in a room. It was uh, my office, and we were sitting down, and we were on the phone with her, and she we were on speaker, and Leif was in the room. And uh, she was picking up um, all the different things about him, and he was, you know, he was listening, but he wasn't talking to her. And she was really shocked at that. He wasn't saying anything to her. And, and finally, you know, through a, a lot of effort on her end, she finally got him to listen and to respond after she, he realized that we just wanted to help him and make him, you know, be able to rest and sleep and not be so fearful. And this is early on in his time with us. And so she's asking him, well, what happened? And, and the only thing that he really understood, and this is through maybe a pup's mind about a year old, and he doesn't understand why, is that he said to her when asking what happened, and he said, I was left. And he was so embarrassed, He was, you know, and he actually, uh, physically, he got down on all fours and he put his head between his two paws in the front and he just looked so completely embarrassed that he was left and that that he wasn't loved and what did he do wrong and all that. And, um, And that was really what was happening with him. He just didn't understand. And that animal communicator allowed us to understand how deep that was for him. Not to to just be left by you no longer have his home, no longer have the place where he was, and uh he and it took a long time for him to realize that he would never be left again.
1: well, our cat uh has ground has hardly any teeth in the front, like he grinds them down from doing something, so one no, time no. we had to so one time we had to close the doggy door because um uh, there were people working in the backyard. And he went there, and he just started biting at it, biting at it, biting at it, so I am assuming that he was locked in someplace for a long period of time.
3: Mm. That's really sad. What's your cat's name Charlie Charlie? Mhm, I bet he's happy now,
1: oh yeah, he's really uh <laughs> bonded with my husband. <laughs>
3: Gets all the best cat food. Every hell the toys, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he likes Leo. <laughs>
3: now that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, our cat cuddles. It basically rules the house, and, and Leaf basically, even though he would say, and I could feel that she's not the boss of me. She really is. <laughs> she, she definitely <laughs> is in charge of the house. <laughs> a little tuxedo cat, tiny thing but her her ability to look and stare at leaf and stare him down i just I'm amazed at her mm. she's in the book in the picture in the back with uh, standing sitting so perfectly on top of three or four books uh, uh the three of us were in the picture and you have a bird sunshine and he yes. is a cockatiel and he is uh getting up there in age but he still is energetic and lively and you know, we, we make he comes out once or twice a day and he's on the mantle or on our shoulders, but we make sure that the cat and leaf are elsewhere because we don't not necessarily want instinct to take hold and but they should you know, we've had her out once uh, accidentally with cuddles and they were on the floor together, we were in the other room, Linda came in and saw those two together and you know, cuddles didn't do anything. I guess she realized that Sunshine is a family member and not food, so we we like that. But we never take that chance. That was an accident about a year ago, and we just don't ever want to take any chances like that. Well,
1: I I have a friend who has a dog that looks like Leaf, a black cocker spaniel, and uh, she has a bird, and the bird walks all over the dog. But the dog was <laughs> you know since it was like six weeks old oh, near the bird, so. Uh, anyway, yeah, he lays on the floor, and uh, the bird just walks all over him.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> um, Alan, Alan yes. tell us about your newsletter, because, you know, these kind of stories just really bring a smile to people's hearts. And um, So tell us a little bit about your newsletter.
3: Well, Angel Animals is a, you know, we, basically Angel Animals is a network that we are trying to, Share stories, individual stories, whether it be uh, in our columns uh, in newspapers, or it be in, in books, or the online uh, story of the week newsletter. We have a free st- online angel animal story of the week newsletter that that comes out uh, after you subscribe to you once a week, and uh, it's usually Saturday. And it has a story from someone who wants to share their story, and and they uh, we we basically it's about that special connection between them and their pet or animal and nature. And they wanted to share how they grew to become more than they are when it comes to being a fully uh, happy, maybe <laughs> more love individual type of person. And, and uh, it's uplifting. And all you have to do is go to the angelanimals.net, uh, the uh, website, and subscribe. There's a, At the bottom of the website, there's a subscribe to the newsletter uh, procedure. And uh, you, you go ahead and verify when they send you a, a, a verification email. And now uh, you get it weekly, and you'll be able to enjoy the stories uh, there are occasions when we are working on new books where we ask for stories and people can submit if they want to be considered for another book and um, uh, on, on stories like uh, Angel Dog, Angel Cats, or Horses, or anything else that brings them that special joy and, and understanding that life is more than just what we're doing day to day with our responsibilities, but it can be much more joyous if they live day to day, moment to moment. The key to this and this, this is the leaf book. This is what I learned more than ever in the leaf book and viewing him in all these different stories is to live in the moment i'm not anticipating or fearing the future i'm not regretting the past i'm just living in the moment and with that there's so much more in that moment that we can appreciate if we just kind of get into that realm of doing things that way at least for me and it helps me so much and i've really grown a lot because of this experience and because leaf was there with me through it all
2: well, that's, it's so great. I mean, it's, it's packed full of love and joy and cuddly stories and, and certainly a way to not only brighten your day but others too. And um, uh, wow, it's so awesome to have the gift um, that you give to others in, in this wonderful newsletter. So and you, you have teach, another, I was going to say you also teach people how to write.
3: Yes, yes, at the Loft Literary Center. Uh, I do uh, workshops, and uh, Linda also does workshops and classes on writing. And uh, basically, it's, everyone's so busy, it's kind of oriented towards writing on the run, so to speak. When you're awfully busy, find those slots of time where you can actually write and enjoy first draft writing and then let it grow and become more as you work with it. And we have all sorts of techniques and all sorts of methods of being able to do your own story, whether it be about an animal or whether it be about family or whatever you might have gone through in life that you want to share with the idea that you're giving service, you want to share this because it will help others and the moment that cuts into the mind of a writer, the moment they start thinking, "Gosh, I do have a purpose, this is going to work for me because I might have gone through you know I won't use." bad words but I want to go through bad times and uh, and I want to share that because I want, I want to show people they can get through it and they can come out the other end and they'll have a really high quality life if they don't let it take hold and just completely take over their being so a lot of these people that write and go to our classes and go to the workshops I do is um, are people that really do have a lot of experiences and they want to help others because they may have made many mistakes it, it, I don't think there are any real mistakes but may have done things that they wish they would have done differently, and maybe others will read and see their own situations and do it maybe with less pain and less, less harshness. So, yeah, we do teach. I do teach. I love it. Writers are wonderful people. They, <laughs> a lot of times, you know, the Walter Mitty movies coming out, a lot of times they are just like the folks, that like that person living in an imaginative world much of the time. So they just need to get it out on paper.
1: Wow. So on, your web, on your website, do you give out tips? On
3: writing and right, there's tips on writing on the writing on the run website. There's 101 tips on how to write on the run. Basically, you're busy, your family, your kids, your work, but you really do want to write also. And there's a lot of tips on that. It's writingontherun.com, and there's a little icon that says uh, 101 tips. and You can click that and print it out, and it might be helpful. A lot of people have used it.
2: Now, you've donated a portion of your revenue from uh, your projects to animal shelters and animal welfare organizations. Um, Is there any organization that that you share on your website or if you want to share it through um, our interview with you that people can donate to?
3: Well, you know, we have a special relationship with the American Humane Association. They're a wonderful mainline or mainline type of group, a national organization that has a really rich history. They've they've been around for 140 years, I believe it has been, and they've been helping children and helping animals in any way they possibly can through all their programs. And if you could just look up American Humane Association on the web and you can see all the work they do. They have videos and all the work they do in helping children in helping people and, uh, and the um, animals. Uh, and you you can see this is direct help. So I would suggest if you ever want to get involved, even on a minimal level of just uh, saying, oh, I'd like to come attend one of your events and give support, they, they're, they're doing stuff all the time that helps these events. And um, they have special vehicles that go to disaster areas afterwards and are there making sure that both the families and children and animals are all, you know, taking care of it as best as possible, even in a disaster area, these massive trucks go to these areas that need help, and they just do a lot of good work. I, I think if people had an opportunity to see what they did, and go to their website or do other things, that would get more research on on who they are and what they are about. I think they would say, yeah, I, I, that's sort of mainstream. That's I don't feel uncomfortable. With that I kind of like what they're doing. They're always working to help, help and make things better. I I like to help support that a little bit.
2: Great. And uh, do you have uh, a book that you're working on now?
3: Actually, we do. (laughs) Of all things, it's it's about uh, uh, some of the things that happen in Hollywood with animal actors, and we're working on that right now, on on the uh, trainers and how how they're cared for and what happens during their retirement, and basically the stories, the stories behind those uh, relationships and how a star like Uggie, uh, which is a dog that was in quite a few films, and then uh, maybe the parrot in a couple of the other parrot films, or the monkey that was in the, car- uh, the pirates uh, pirate films uh, who they are, what they do, and what their lives are like as they became actors in as animals and as they dis going into retirement and how they're they're treated during their retirement years it's a really interesting book and it's coming out in the end of uh, fall of twenty fourteen. We well, just wow. got
1: through interviewing a couple of months ago a lady who uh, used to do that.
2: Yeah. So maybe I, sh-
1: I should give you, after the show or something, give you her name.
2: Well, thank you. And, again, if people um, want to pick up the book, um, they can do it on Amazon. Can they do it from your website as well?
3: Yes, they can. Uh, Amazon, com, they could... Or the book from any bookstore if it's not on the shelf. Uh, we have other books, too, that may or may not be on the shelves in Barnes & Noble or independent bookstores, but you could always get them online also, any of the online bookstores. So Dog Named Leaf is, is – <laughs> I'm looking at the cover right now. I know exactly what you mean. He has such a sweet face, doesn't he? <laughs>
2: oh, adorable! I mean, you just want to hug him. Wow. Um, wow.
3: We- He's in the chair right behind me right now. I think I, I asked him, please don't snore, and he doesn't snore yet. He's he's just resting. He's, he's looking at me. I haven't snored, see? I haven't snored.
1: <laughs> so if people are interested in the book, it's um, a dog named Leaf, and we've been talking to Alan Anderson, and he and his wife wrote it. It's Alan Anderson and Linda Anderson, and you also um, one of the other books you wrote, uh, Angel Dogs. So uh, you want to give out, you, we already gave out one of your websites, uh, writingontherun.com, and what are your other websites?
3: Well, dognameleaf.com. You can get all the details about a Dog Name Leaf and all the different uh, events and or book events or whatever that uh, has happened and will be happening. And Also, uh, angelanimals.net. That's probably the best place to get your, your free online newsletter if you want to go to Angel Animals. Remember Angel Animals, and we think of... Uh, Angels, from the Greek uh, variation of that, when it comes to messenger. So many of our animals are messengers that that help us through life during those times when we really do need help in a very physical way. Whether it's a cat chasing away a bear from your front door, or whether it's a dog handing you a piece of paper in a, a, a vivid uh, moment in um, before surgery, there's a lot of ways animals help us in every day. So angelanimals.net, a and if you're interested in writing and spending and sharing your stories with others, uh, there's 101 um, points on how to write, even if you are an extremely busy person, on the writingontherun.com.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. So, again, you know what? Thank you for writing this book and the books that you do. Uh, remarkable stories, um, reaffirming in, um, our faith in 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 mutually bonding with our with our animals and, and the beautiful relationships that we can Thanks have with him. them, whether we can touch them or not. <laughs>
1: oh, God! Well, a dog named Leaf is sitting right beside Alan Anderson right now as we're talking to him, and we feel privileged to be able to communicate with both of you. Yeah. So thank you. It was well, thank you very hour. much for it.
3: We we'll appreciate you having me on. That's very nice. Thank you so much.
2: Thank oh, you for welcome. being with us. Blessings. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.